The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. What do we do with the problem of suffering in this life? We, have, we, we obviously have faced suffering. Now, we have not faced suffering like, like our, our brothers and sisters before us, and we have not faced suffering like many in the world experience it. Um, but, you know, we, are, um, we have members in this church that are, that are sick with uh, the virus. Um, and, and I know that, that that's all we hear. We hear coronavirus, COVID, there's, everybody's dying, everybody's getting it, all these sorts of things. I, I just want to remind us that it's, it's just a virus, just like everything else that we face in this life. Um, it's, it's nothing that we should be afraid of. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be cautious and we shouldn't use common sense. But if we find ourselves in a spirit of fear, we're doing something wrong. Because the Bible tells us that we have not been given a spirit of fear. But nonetheless, we do have people who are sick. We do have people who um, have suffered other things uh, in, in, in this church, whether it be them or their family members. And when we hear that news, when we get those messages in, those text messages or those calls in, it breaks our hearts. And, and we kind of can't help but get our, our, our feathers ruffled a little bit. What, what about suffering? What do we know about suffering, first off? Because so many people, I, I have heard of instances in which people have began to question their faith in the midst of this pandemic. You know, all of the lockdowns and, and they're there alone and they're away from the kingdom and then they begin to, to get depressed, they begin to question. And then one of the main things they ask is, why does the Lord allow this to happen? Why does the Lord cause this to happen sometimes? And suffering and a misunderstanding of, of, of what suffering is and how it works causes people and their faith to shake. What do we know about suffering? You know, that is a, it is a question I don't know the answer to entirely. And I, I suspect I won't know until we see the Lord in heaven. But here's what we do know. I want to share, I'll share you a few things that we do know about suffering, and then I want to transition over into the thing I think we need to know, which is we need hope. Uh, first off, what we know about suffering is that God is holy. And for my reference of this, I, I, everything that I say up here, I want to have at least a scripture, if not more, to back it up. If not... You know, that's not enough evidence to prove my point. Well, my reference for God is holy is the whole scripture. I'm just going to reference the Bible, the whole thing. The whole thing teaches of God's holiness, of his righteousness. Many specific verses that teach that, but also even verses that don't directly uh, uh, teach it are indirectly supporting it. God is holy. What does that mean? That means that he is not the author of sin. If you see suffering in this world and you see the sin and the consequences of sin, that is not the Lord because God is holy. He doesn't mess with that. Romans 3 teaches us that, that we should not continue in unrighteousness. You know, some say, well, God is glorified in 
forgiving you of your sins. And some would say, well, then let us just continue sinning. Therefore, that way God gets more glory. He gets more and more glory every time I sin. And that is just totally wrong. And that's what that scripture teaches us. Because if, if sin, if wrong, is a part of God's, of God's plan and redemption, if sin is a part of God's purpose for your life, then how shall he judge the world? That's what that scripture teaches us. Even, even in our court system, even a man that's a judge, if that judge is somehow complicit in that crime that he is, he is ruling over, then he cannot sit in judgment of that. He has to recuse. Because if he is a part of it, then he is conflicted out of being able to judge on that. Well, if God caused sin, if God made you sin so he could forgive you of that, you see how it would conflict him out of being able to sit in righteous judgment? Because then he's just a puppet master. He is just the one that made it happen and then comes in. That is not our God. God does not do that. And, and you can learn so much about digging in that passage in the beginning of Romans 3 and learning what it means that God is a righteous judge. It'll teach us a lot about God's role in sin in our lives. The, the short answer is that God's role in sin of our, our lives is to forgive us of our sins. We do the sinning, He does the saving. That's how it works. And God doesn't need our help to, to glorify Him. He doesn't need you to sin more that He can forgive you more. That's not how it works at all. That's a total misunderstanding of, of the doctrines of grace. The other thing is, is, I want to ask you this question, does God send suffering? Does he send it? And, and here, here's the answer, yes, sometimes, okay? Uh, ask the Egyptians, right? Ask the Egyptians if God sends suffering. He sent plagues on them. Now, the, the main distinction there is that it was a judgment, that they deserved it. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah, all the, the terrible, how terrible it would have been like to have been in Sodom and Gomorrah when it is being burnt to a crisp. You know, I was, I was burning leaves yesterday, and Brother Glendon, I was doing it safely. I, I had it, I, I don't know why, but I guess it was because I had quarantined myself. Meredith and I took the rest of the week off and quarantined just because we'd been exposed to Ashley and Mason and Brother Chris. Um, and so I guess I decided while we're raking leaves, we might as well see if we can make the biggest pile of leaves that you've ever seen in your life, right? And so I, I worked about three times harder than I needed to in order to rake all of the piles into one pile, the mega pile, right? <laughs> and it was, it was huge. And so I, I, once I lit it on fire, I, you know, I had all the tools needed to put it out if it got out of hand. But I very quickly, I realized that fire was the hottest thing I'd ever experienced. It was dry leaves, and it took off. And uh, we've got a little lamppost out in the yard. Many of y'all have seen that lamppost, and we leave the light on. Well, it melted the bulb on that. Like half of the bulb just kind of drooped down. 
That was a hot fire. Can you imagine being in Sodom and Gomorrah and experiencing the wrath of God poured out? If you were to ask one of them, would you say, does God send judgment? Does he send suffering? They would say, oh, yes, he does. But the point is, there it was a judgment. There it was, it was righteous for God to judge them. I want you to keep in mind, going back to the, to the Egypt example, that when God poured out all, that, all those uh, plagues out on Egypt, normally, now some of the plagues affected both, but normally what was happening was that his children were over there in the land of Goshen not experiencing that. You know, if, if the coronavirus, for instance, if that, is, if that is God's judgment on America, you know, Brother Chris said it like this one time, when God judges, he doesn't miss. He doesn't miss. You know, it remains to be seen, I think, whether it is his judgment or not. I, I tend to think it's just the result of us living in a sinful world. We have viruses. We have breakdown in our DNA. We have all kind of problems that we experience. You know, we'll get into that. Let's look at the example of Job. We don't have to turn there, but in the first chapter of Job, what happens is that Satan is out prowling the earth. He is looking for people to devour. He is a roaring lion. The scripture teaches us that. We have two major lines that are taught in scripture. The line like a huge cat line. Uh, not like a L-I-N-E line, but like a line with a mane. There's two of them in scripture. You've got one, which is Satan. He is a roaring lion. He is, he is prowling around, seeking whom he can devour. Have you ever been in, in a house that has a cat in it? And, and, and you have that sort of fear in your mind as you walk across the living room that that cat is prowling around and it will jump out and it will claw you? And that's just a little cat. Imagine a lion. I know that's comical, but I'm serious. Brother Chris and Sister Sherry, they have a little adorable kitten in their house. And, and, you know, the first week or so that they had it, it was so adorable, so sweet. It was cuddly, you know. But now it is terrifying because once, once it gets in, in play mode, there, there is no stopping. It doesn't matter how sweet you pet it. It will turn on you and, and grab hold of you. And that's, a, that, that's just a little bitty, I don't know, one and a half, two pound kitten, right? A lion is something serious. We've got, the, we've got the line of Satan, but we also have the line of the tribe of Judah, which is Jesus our Savior. Neither one of them are people to meddle with, okay? And so... Satan is prowling around here in the book of Job, and, and, he, and he comes uh, to the Lord, and the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? And many people say, there it is. The Lord is pointing out Job. Well, what does Satan say? He says, yeah, I've tried, but I can't get to him because you are protecting him. That right there t teaches us about the role of God in our lives. And the role of Satan in our lives. Satan is like that little crazy 
uh, Darcy Kitten that is waiting for his chance to jump on you and draw blood, right? It, Satan is, is looking for his chance to afflict this church, to come after you. And God's role in our lives is he is the protector. He keeps the hedge on us. And so then Satan attempts to afflict Job. And what happens? Job has probably one of the worst days ever. A servant comes to him and he says, all of your oxen and all of your donkeys, they, the Sabians came down and, and they, they slew them all. Now that's pretty bad. And then another servant comes and he says, all of the, all of the sheep and the servants, that, that fire came down from heaven and burned it up. Of course, now, I want to point out, was that fire really from heaven? The, the, Job already, the, the passage is already teaching us that it is Satan that's coming after Job. This is fire from, from the devil. And then another servant comes in and he says, he says, Master, the, the Chaldeans came in and they slew all of your camels. And then another servant comes in as if his day was not bad enough and says, that a big, a great wind, this storm blew in, and it beat on, beat on your son's house, and all of your children were in there, and the, and the walls collapsed in and killed them all. So we've got, we've got the actions of men, of sinful and wicked men, coming down and, and slaying animals and people. We've got fire, and we've got storm a big storm coming in and and we know that none of these were the lord none of these were god all of this was the devil that that tells you something that satan that roaring lion that oversized darcy kitten right is he is a he is a for real adversary he is very dangerous because he doesn't, just, he doesn't just come to you and, and whisper things to you and, and, and make you try to uh, lose hope. No, he has, the, he has some power here. He has power, fire and storms and, and over the minds of other people. I mean, you look at this world and you see, we see storms, we see fires, we see uh, people doing wicked and sinful things. I'm not saying that every single time it's Satan and, and him lashing out. You know, I, I feel like personally, I, I don't really need Satan's help a whole lot in being a sinful person. You know, I've, I've, I'm pretty good at that myself. So sometimes you have actions and terrible things that happen that are just the result of a sinful world and sinful people doing sinful things. But, here we see some of Satan's tools that he has at his disposal. Many things, many of these people have blamed God on. People have blamed God for storms tearing apart their house. People have blamed God for sinful people doing sinful things. 
getting drunk and driving on the road and killing a family or, or robbing you or doing something like that. Sinful people doing sinful things. And, and God gets the credit for that. What kind of a world do we live in where the righteous God, the righteous judge of the earth, gets accused of sinful people doing sinful things? And you know what? You know what Job's response was in all of this? After all these terrible things came on him, he worshiped the Lord. He didn't sit there and, and blame God and say, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you send that fire? Why did you send those wicked people? Why did you send that storm? He doesn't ask those questions. What he does is he worships the Lord. He knows that the Lord gave him these blessings. They're not really his. That is, a, that is a prayer that I have tried to pray. And, and as a part of daily prayer time that I have, I try to pray for my family and pray for this church and pray for, uh, you know, pray for the things that the Lord has blessed us to have. But I'm always very careful, or try to be, when I pray for um, possessions, material things, that I make sure that I remind myself before God Lord, thank you for giving us these things. I know that they are yours and you have just allowed me to use them for a time. May I use them for your glory. That is, that is an attitude we need to keep. You know, keep a, a, a loose grasp on the things that we have because they're the Lord's. And that's what Job did. He honored the Lord. He said, Lord, you give and you take away. And I love the last verse of the first chapter says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He wasn't sitting there and blaming God for all of the bad things that have happened in his life. That happens so much. You know I, know, I know of people that I have spoken to who have had a hard time wrapping their, their mind around what is happening in this pandemic. And I know we all have struggled. I've gone back and forth and back and forth on, on my opinion of it. But it is particularly difficult for people who think that God is causing all things that are happening to happen. Because they say, how can a good and loving and righteous God that we hear about send all of this stuff, all of this suffering, you know what's happening when we do that? When we, and and I'm, I'm not accusing anybody that's done that. Because as I said, I know of people that have, that have said things like that and that I love dearly and have a heart for the Lord. I'm not accusing anybody because we all can, can fall prey to that. That happens to all of us. You've had that before. I remember as a little kid, maybe, maybe I was being a little dramatic, maybe not, but you know, I was, mom was taking me to school one day and then I saw my dog dead on the road. And man, I'm telling you, it ripped my heart apart. And I, I just, the first thing I said was, why, Lord, in my mind, you know? And there I was, even as a little child, blaming God for the problems I was experiencing. And I think back to that so often now and think, God didn't do that, you know? Why would the righteous God of this world say, you know what I'm going to do today? Just for fun, I'm going to go down and I'm going to kill my, my son John Morgan's pet. No, that is not our God. 
The Lord doesn't have to intervene in that way for us to, for us to experience the sinfulness of this world. Why was it that my, that my little puppy was out on the road? I don't know. Why was it that that person hit it? I don't know. But we live in a sinful world, okay? Death is, is the ultimate example that we live in a sinful world. You know, if we lived in a righteous world like the Lord uh, asked us to do, like, we want, like he wanted us to do, then death would not be a thing. But Job, he did not charge God with this. And, and the Bible sits there and it, it praises Job for that. It says he did, not, he did not sin in anything that he did at that point, and he did not charge God foolishly. Man, I do not want to be the one who is charging God foolishly. So I don't know all the answers to suffering. But what I do know is that God doesn't cause everything that we see to happen. We know that he sends it sometimes. And the truth is, if he were to send, if he were to send some chastisement to me, some, some type of suffering to me, I deserve it. But we do know that he, he doesn't do it all the time. Most of the time, I, I suspect it's either Satan or if it's just the effects of this sinful world. <clears throat> we know that God is a righteous God and therefore he cannot be a part of sin. So what, what can we learn about suffering? I want you to turn over to Isaiah 61 and in the remainder of our time, <clears throat> I want to try to give us some hope. <clears throat> and as you're turning there, I know I don't need to remind you, but here's our situation in the world. We live in a world that, that does not love the Lord. And, th and it's not just that the world has gotten so much worse. This, is, this has always been the case. When Jesus came, you know, some 2,000 years ago, you would think that things were, were a lot better than they are now. But they crucified him, right? And so here we are 2,000 years later, and, and our society has evolved, you know, and, and we've advanced so much. And there's nothing new under the sun. But here we have, you know, we have this election year and all this confusion around that, and we've got the, the coronavirus and all the confusion on that. And all you hear, you know, I have stopped watching the news. Meredith and I last night watched the uh, Auburn and Tennessee game. And watching the commercials, after taking so much time off of watching TV and off of watching the news, and we watched the commercials, I mean, it was like, Every commercial made me mad. And it was just commercials, but everyone was pushing some agenda. Everything was so crazy and weird. And, and it, just, it just got me upset. That's the world we live in. And even though we stopped watching the news, still on my phone, every single day, I get a notification that 
oh, today is a record-breaking day in, in COVID cases, and we have more deaths today than ever before, and it's going to get a whole lot worse. Just buckle up because this, this winter is going to be terrible. That's, that's every single day. And, and meanwhile, I think I told some of y'all that next week I may just be done with coronavirus. If anybody wants to join me, I'm just kidding. We'll still wear masks for, for uh, you know, because it, it, it's a good idea. Some people think that it's helpful, and, and whether it is or not, I'll, I'll do that um, for the sake of, of comforting others. And, and look, it is, it is a real thing. It is a real virus, and we should be cautious of, of, of people that, that are at risk. Um, and so in that way, I'm not saying I'm actually going to stop. I, I'm just, I know we could all agree that we're, we're, uh, we're done with it in our minds, right? We're so tired of it. And so we live in a tumultuous time, and every single fiber of my being longs, longs for the resurrection to see Jesus and to, for all of these problems and all of, you know, all of the things that, that our brother and, uh, brothers and sisters have experienced, I want them to be done. I want them to be over. And I, I, I trust that the Lord will deliver our members who are sick. But I'm, I'm telling you what, when I heard the news of some, of some of the ones that have gotten sick, what I wanted to do was I just wanted the Lord to come back and for it all to be made right. So that's where we are. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. When this prophecy was given, Israel was in a very similar time. They were in a, a period of darkness. They wanted deliverance. They wanted the Messiah to come. To deliver Him from their problems. And so here we are. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Can you imagine being in this situation? And like I said, we're in this situation now. It's, it's so amazing to me that this was written, this was written hundreds of years before Jesus even came. And it still answers the same problems and questions that we have now. Of course, then they were looking forward to Jesus coming the first time. Now, we, we have the benefit, obviously, of looking back and seeing his work on the cross. But listen, I still want to see Jesus come the second time. There's something interesting that we can learn here. Over in Luke, Jesus, when he, when he comes here to this world, he comes in, they're, they're reading scriptures there in, in the synagogue, and what he does is Jesus himself, our Savior, comes up there, they pass the scroll to him, and he flips over, to Isaiah 61, and this is what Jesus reads. Now that is amazing to me. 
It's a, it, is, it is amazing to me that God Himself read, He quoted Himself there. And this is what He chose to read. He, had, he could read anything. All of the words that He had written through all of the time up to that point. And what did He choose to read? He chose to read Isaiah 61. And He read exactly what I just read to you. That the time is coming that I will come and preach good tidings to the meek and bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to them that are bound. There is coming a day, he says, that this will happen. And notice, when Jesus was reading the Scripture, he got to about midway through verse 2. He goes to, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and then he closes the scroll and he sits down. Now some of the, the young, young people, of course I'm a young person, but I don't want uh, to exclude anybody from this. So some of the young people have a, what they call a mic drop moment, right? Where something big happens, somebody says something that, that just really gets the point across and then they just drop the mic, right? It's a, it's a Jesus did that here. He gets up there he reads this out, and then he just closes the book and sits down. He doesn't even finish reading the passage. He doesn't even finish reading the verse. Of course, I know they didn't have verses then like we do now. But he, he, he stops reading mid-sentence. What, what follows after? So he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's where he stopped. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they might be glorified, that they shall build the old waste and shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities the desolations of many generations. Jesus stopped right before it got to the day of vengeance. Now, I believe that this was because up to where he read, the Lord, he was fulfilling by coming then. He was fulfilling all of these things that he'd read. But the day of vengeance, that's something else. I believe that is when he comes back. I believe that's what we're looking forward to now. Vengeance. Now, we often think of that word vengeance as, as a sinful thing even. You know, Meredith and I, like I said, we've been on quarantine, that we've kind of self-quarantined, I guess. And so we've been uh, watching some movies. We've, we have been watching the Batman series of movies. And let me tell you, Batman is all about vengeance. That's like his, his key word vengeance. And for him, vengeance is all about revenging the death of his parents, right? I hope I'm not spoiling it for anybody. That's, that's common knowledge, right, that his parents are dead, right? <laughs> all right, so Batman is all about vengeance. And that is, that is a, to be honest, a sinful kind of vengeance. What does vengeance really mean? Vengeance means to make recompense. It means to make all things right again. To make what was wronged right. And some people believe that, that to make something 
wrong right in that instance like Batman he thinks that his job is to just beat up all the criminals that'll make all things right and and that's sort of you know as far as you know Christian morality that's sort of misguided but when Jesus when the Lord says the day of vengeance is coming that means the day that all of these wrong things are going to be made right now only God can bring vengeance like that. Only God can make something that's wrong right again. You know, because the court system can't do it. You know, that's, that's one thing, that, that's why, I guess, one of the reasons why vengeance, the word, is so, um, is so taboo to us in our modern idea of, of jurisprudence. Because we say, well, we don't act like that in our society. You know, it's not, it's not tooth for tooth and eye for eye because that's being vengeful. We've got to be different than the criminals. And so when you come to court, you get all these rights and privileges. And I'm not saying that's a wrong thing, by the way. You get all these rights and privileges and you get this trial and all these things. And, it's, and it ends up softening the process a whole lot. And, and, and you know one of the reasons why? Because... Our judicial system cannot repay wrongs like the Lord can. You know, if, if you, like, like Batman, we'll just use Batman, we'll use a fictional character. His parents were killed in a robbery. Now, how in the world is the judicial system supposed to repay him and to make that wrong right? You, they can't replace his parents. They can't fix that. Only the Lord can bring vengeance and make all things that are wrong right again. What did the Lord do for Job, right? All of the wrong that Job experienced. And you say, how could that ever be made right again? The judicial system can't do it. Judges and lawyers and, and, and police officers, they can't do it. Well, what did the Lord do? He blessed him. He gave him these things again. He gave him children. He gave him, uh, he gave him sheep and, and camels and all these things that he had lost. The Lord recompensed. The Lord brought vengeance. He made the wrong things right. That is the day that I'm looking forward to. The day of vengeance. When the Lord comes back. That'll be the day. And we'll have beauty for ashes. All of this, this heap of ashes that we have and this dust and dirt that we have in this life, that the Lord is going to repay that. He's going to repay that with, with beauty. The oil of joy for mourning. We cannot understand a God this good. Now I've got to move along. Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, and, and some of you may recognize this uh, because we have a, a hymn and, and the uh, Songs of Zion hymnal that is, that is about this passage. It says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. What better image do we have of the vengeance and the recompense of God 
than he were to take a desert and to make it blossom like a rose. Do you believe that our God can furnish a table in the wilderness? I do. I've seen it firsthand. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing, and the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. These are, these are some of the most beautiful cities and places in the world. And he says that the Lord is going to make this wilderness be like these majestic and beautiful places. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Now, as I mentioned before, this was a prophecy given to people who were waiting on the Messiah. But I think it's so amazing how it applies to us right now. Are you waiting? Are you waiting for Jesus? Do you feel yourself to be a person with weak hands and feeble knees? Regardless of your physical stature, your strength, your age, I believe we can all find ourselves at times when we wake up and realize that I am so weak. I have weak hands and feeble knees. I am in need of something. Everybody feels this. Everybody feels this. The difference between us and many people out in the world is that they say, I have a need for something, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill it up with something. I'm going to fill that void with, with more money. I'm going to fill it with a better job. I'm going to fill it with a better house or a better car. I'm going to fill it with, with, if those things don't work, I'm going to fill it with drugs. I'm going to fill it with alcohol. I'm going to fill it with medication, something to fill this void inside of me. I've heard it said before that this, this void inside of you is a God-shaped hole and that you're trying to fill it up with all this other stuff and only God can fill that void inside of you. We're all longing for something. We are, we are weak and feeble people. We need God. It says, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Do you find yourself with a fearful heart? You see all that's going on in, in the economy, in the society. You know, we, we see what's happened in the election, and, and regardless of how you, how you vote, you know, we realize that, that it may trend a way that is opposed to God's scripture in the future, or opposed to God's teaching. And, and you can't help but see that and be a little unsettled. But I say to you again, child of God, do not have a fearful heart. We have, we have a heart within us that the Lord has given us, a heart of adoption. Not a, not a spirit of fear, but a, but a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We should, we should react to things in a different way. He says, don't be a fearful heart. He says, instead, be strong. Why is that? Why can you be strong? Because God is coming in vengeance. 
He will come and make all of these things that are wrong right. And I don't have to sit there and, and worry and try to figure out how do we make all of these things right? How do we fix all of the problems in our society? It doesn't mean that we check out of, of our society, but God will recompense. He will come in vengeance and fix these things. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. Now I preached recently on water in the scripture, and this was one of uh, the most beautiful images that I've, I left out. But in the wilderness, when God comes, he will make streams come out in the wilderness. This is, this is a God that will come and make all things right. And the parched ground shall become a pool in the thirsty land, springs of water, and the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. What, what are we talking about here? I, I, I believe that we're talking about the coming of the Lord, the second coming. This is something more than just what he came and accomplished on the cross. This is talking about a time when things are made right. Because he came on the cross and he purchased that, he secured that, but as we know, you know, this, you know, 2,000 years after the cross, we see that recompense has not been made yet. We still live in a broken world. This is talking about a time in which the Lord comes back and fixes all the wrongs. Not only does he recompense and, and come in vengeance and fix all your wrongs, but also he brings water for you. Do you feel thirsty for the Lord? He is coming in recompense. And he says, and a highway shall be there in a way, and it shall be the, called the way of holiness. And he says, there's not going to be any evildoers on this way. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living without sinful people in this world? Verse 9, he says, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Can you imagine a day without that roaring lion? Can you imagine a day without Satan trying to get you? That's what it'll be like when the Lord comes back. You won't have to, you won't have to sit there in fear as you cross over that road thinking the lion might just pounce on us. <clears throat> have you ever... Have you ever felt this before when you see things going right in your life? <clears throat> you see things going right in the church. And you see peace and rest. And then you start thinking, everything's too right. What's about to go wrong? And you start fearing that lion. It's almost as if you're just having a great time, you know, walking on the road with your family. And then all of a sudden you think it's too right. The lion's here somewhere. I know he's in the bushes. 
<clears throat> now I kid, but we've all we've all felt that. Maybe it's from maybe it's just from experience that we know that the cycle of life that things go right and things go back wrong again. Maybe it's from watching too many movies. I don't know, you know, because that's always the setup. You've ever watched a horror movie? It always starts with a wonderful family and everything's going great and too great, you know, like it's 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 sickly great, and then it and then it turns right. Well, can we imagine? Can we imagine a story, a movie even, where it begins great, and and you feel like something's something's got to go wrong, but it never does, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. That's what it'll be like when the Lord comes back in vengeance. Says there won't be the lion there anymore. There won't be Satan looking at you from all different angles and seeing what is the best way to attack. Now, I, I have just a few minutes left. I'm, I'm going to move along. Isaiah 49. You know, another thing that I think happens a lot when we, have, when we experience suffering come, come on us, we experience, we experience these bad times. We are tempted to say this. We're tempted to say, Lord, have you forgotten us? And to answer that, I believe this verse is, is perhaps the best verse in the Scripture to remind us that the Lord has not forgotten you. He cannot forget you. Isaiah 49 and verse 14 says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me. And my Lord hath forgotten me. What is the response to that? Can a woman forget her sucking child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? You know, there are, there are biological things that the Lord has hardwired within us to, to, to make a mother want to provide for her child. I mean, that, you see that even in, even in, in nature and in animals. I mean... A, a mother wants to protect her young. It is something that the, that the Lord has given to us. But even, even there, you have some, some people who have abandoned their children or who have forgotten. Because we do live in a sinful world, right? Well, the Lord says, even, even if that is the case, it says, yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. This is a God who sees. We talked about that the last time I, I tried to preach, about the God who sees me. This is the God who sees you. <laughs> he is not going to forget that you're there. He, he paid dearly for you. He shed his blood for you. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to shed his glory, come down to this world to put up with my problems and your problems. He didn't have to come down and experience hunger and thirst and, and tiredness. <clears throat> he didn't have to experience being torn apart by those whips. And, and being nailed to a cross. You know, 
I think, I think that it says a lot about how comfortable we are in a, in, in a nation when, when one of, if you're a healthy person, one of the worst things you have to endure is being tested for COVID, right? And have a, have a thing rammed up your nose until they touch your brain. If that's the worst we've got going on, we're, that's, we're pretty good. Jesus, in, instead of just a cotton swab up his nose, right, he experienced being nailed through his wrist to a, to a cross for you. Do you think he's going to forget you now? After he went through all of that for you? After he shed his blood for you? You know, some people... Uh, some people will get uh, tattoos of a loved one if they passed. You know, we can, we can uh, I'll let Brother Chris get into, you know, scripture on that later if he wants to. Um, that's, not, that's not my purpose today, but my, my point is some people will try to remember something. They'll put it on their hand. You know, you can write it in, in pen, but what happens is when you get a little sweaty or something, it comes off. A little, a little more permanent solution is to tattoo it there. Well, you know, those can be removed too. You know, you've got lasers that can remove that, or, you know, if you were to ever lose that piece of skin, uh, I'm sorry, this is getting graphic. If you were to lose that piece of skin, that tattoo's gone. But you know what happened? When Jesus went to the cross for you, he, he, he had nails driven through his hands for you. That's something that you, you can't have a laser surgery to remove. He had your name engraven in the palms of his hand. That is something that will be there forever. Every time he looks at his hand, he sees you. It's interesting also that we know that, that, that Jesus sits there at the right hand of God the Father. You know, the hand of, of God is certainly Jesus. He, when he looks at his hand, he sees you. When he looks at Jesus, who does he see? He sees you. He sees me. He died for you. He's not going to forget you. So it is very weak for us to say in our moment of need and in our time of, of suffering, Lord, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? There's only one time when that has ever been a true statement, and that was when Jesus cried it from the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was true then because God did abandon him. He abandoned him for you. So when we say that now, we say, God, why have you abandoned me? It's, it, it's not a true statement. We just feel like he abandoned us. He is always there. He will never forget you. <clears throat> and I have two minutes. Let's go to John's, uh, John 16. And I will try to, to uh, sum this up. John 16, and we'll look at verse 16. This is Jesus himself right before Calvary. I can't imagine a, a darker, more depressing time coming up than what his disciples are about to face as he goes to the cross. And what does he say to them? He's, the same thing that applies to us right now. We need to hear these words. A little while and you shall not see me, and again a little while and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. 
Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit. Verse 20 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. Jesus says this to us as well. He will see us. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. I love this. Jesus gives them this image right before he's about to go to the cross. He says, you're going to weep, you're going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow is going to turn into joy. This is the God who can turn water into wine, a God who can turn weeping into rejoicing, sorrow into joy. These things are opposites. But he says it's just like this. It's like a woman in travail. A woman going through childbirth, I'm told that that is one of the most uh, painful experiences that a person can experience. I have no experience personally. I mean, I was born, but I, you know, that wasn't that traumatic for me. But you know, uh, those of you out there who've had children, you can attest. But here's something magical about that: that the Lord says is that after that moment, and you see your child, you all of the sorrow that you experience in that. It's almost as if you forget about it. It was worth it. It was worth it for your children. You know, I don't don't know if I could find a person. I'm sure we could because we live in a sinful world. But I don't know of anybody, whether they had a good experience or a terrible experience in childbearing, that would ever say, I wish I never had my child. Every, Every mother that I know of says it was worth it. They would never trade it in the world. So the Lord says that's what it's like. That's what it's like. We're we're experiencing travail and sorrow, but it is going to turn into joy. One last image. I know I'm going slightly over. Romans 8. Romans 8. This image of travail and childbirth is something that occurs in Scripture more than once. It's used here in Romans 8. Verse verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. We are travailing. We experience a travail almost as if a mother was in childbirth. It's sad to say, but that's what your experience in this life is. It's like, it's like we're perpetually stuck in that moment of suffering until the Lord comes back. And that is when that sorrow and that travail turns into joy. So what, what do I want to leave you with? Verse 23, uh, verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, 
which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. What are we waiting for? It says, to wit, the redemption of our body. What is all of this about? What are we all waiting for? We're waiting for the resurrection. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? When you see hope in the Scriptures, when you see hope in the New Testament specifically, I, I guarantee you, almost I, I, every instance right now that I'm thinking of of hope, it is always talking about the resurrection. We're saved by hope because we know the resurrection is coming. That is the time when the Lord comes in vengeance and makes all of these wrong things right. How can you be saved by hope? It's not hope that gets you into heaven. This hope is something that the Lord has given to you because you are a child of God. What does hope do? When you're experiencing suffering, when we are experiencing this as a church, when the church in Nebraska is experiencing this also, when we see members that are sick and we think, Lord, what is happening? What is going to go wrong? When we experience death in the family, and hardships come upon us. You know what we can do? We can be saved by the hope of the resurrection, knowing that we will see Jesus and He will come and make all these wrong things right. Another, another verse that I don't have time to get to, it's in, in 1 Peter, but it talks about this salvation by hope as well. And it says, receiving the end of our salvation. Receiving the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. You know what happens when you sit here in hope and look to the resurrection? You are experiencing, you're able to taste of the salvation that God has given you because you're looking ahead and seeing what's coming. The resurrection is coming. It is a real thing. And the Lord will come and make all these wrong things right. I hope that's an, that my prayer is that that's an encouragement to you and that even if things get darker, and they will from time to time, that you might remember that Jesus is coming and we will see him. And the very second, very second that we see him, it'll be like that mother seeing their child. It'll be worth every second of our toil here in this life. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.